Hello. Welcome back to Person of Interest with me, Natalie Jones. I got another amazing episode for you today. Today we have Stacey Sims on as our guest. Now, Stacey Sims is here in the Cincinnati area. She's an author, a mind and body educator. She's the founder of the True Body Project, City Silence, and Mindful Music Moments, and her pride and joy, The Well. Kind of all of that stuff is blanketed under her practice of at The Well, which she is the founder and creator of. And all of these things combined with a bunch of other city involvement that she does here for us. She has been elected one of Cincinnati's 2021 Women of the Year. Now, her and I um, are soul sisters on so many levels. And we go through today, she talks about the importance of mindful meditation, especially in children, and starting these practices way wicked early. And the in-school program she has started that has gone nationwide, it's in over like 100, she reaches over 100, you know, 250,000 kids every single morning. I'm happy. It's pretty cool. You were um, recently, she's going to explain all the force so right now. Recently, Please enjoy. You are one of and you can find everything you want to know about her at the well.world. And she's also at True Stacey Sims on Instagram. It was so cool. I mean, congratulations. That's a huge accomplishment and honor. Thank you. It really felt that way, especially with the other... How many? Nine yeah. women who were uh, um, inducted, I guess, is what mm-hmm. you would say this year. It's and you know, I've for a long time I've really loved working with and celebrating the accomplishments of girls and women. Yeah. So this was another space where you just get to think, dang, you know, this is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I know you through our friend Pam and Pam Kravitz, and she has told another me- woman of the year. Yes. She has been in the past, um, and she told me a whole lot about you, and now I can't wait to hear about you from uh, your own mouth. You're a pretty impressive lady, I must say. Oh, thank you. I would really love to know the um, the telephone, uh, you know, what Pam said about me, and I can verify, but I trust Pam. To <laughs> <set>. <laughs> um, she told, Well, a couple of things that I remember. Um, let's see, you guys uh, waited tables together. We did. And you were a knockout, she said. <laughs> you don't even understand. She's a knockout now. When she was younger, she was the most gorgeous thing on the planet. <laughs> she brought Pendleton Pilates to Cincinnati. Yes. And uh, and all the work you do with The Well. So are you the founder of The Well? I am the founder of The Well. This is pretty cool. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because under The Well, there's a lot of, um, it's an umbrella. You guys have a lot of programs outside of it. But what exactly is The Well? Yes, thank you. So... Currently, in its current form, The Well is a nonprofit that serves youth and adults with what we hope are simple but super impactful programs to allow for rituals of daily healing, nourishment, arts content uh, delivered in a way that I'm going to back up for a second. So I feel like the reason the well exists is that stress and trauma, as almost any human being of any age knows, starts to create a, a drain on mind, body, emotion, spirit, effectiveness, relationships, You know, we really understand that when we go through something difficult, that we that it impacts everything. Mm -hmm. It doesn't just impact the mind. Mental and emotional well-being is just a a full physiology Mm -hmm. of um, issues that can really narrow and constrict a life. The cool thing is, is that the path to healing or more just feeling more at ease in one's own body at ease ease in relationships ease in deciding oh i want to go for this and i actually know how to take the steps to do it Mm -hmm. the medicine is really kind of simple things like meditation nature movement um practicing game playing uh practicing ease it's all pretty easy but as we all know it's very hard to add it into your day when you're not being supported yes it ends up being something else we know we should do but Mm -hmm. we don't do and we're all being served so much 
um, kind of numbing content of social media, social media. I love Netflix more than life itself, but you know, even I know that seven hours of Netflix a day (laughs) is probably not the most nourishing thing I can do if I do that every day. Yeah. So our programs try to meet humans where they are with wellness, mindfulness content. Okay. And we do almost everything we do, we do collaboratively. So Mm -hmm. our biggest program, if impacting the most humans, most of them students, is Mindful Music Moments. Okay. This is pretty cool. I've never heard or seen any sort of program like this. Can you explain to us a little bit what Mindful Music Moments are? Yes. So the way it works is we have most of our clients are schools, but we also do work in hospitals and Mm -hmm. in other areas. So but I'll talk about the school program. Okay, It's just a little bit of a background. When I started working with youth in schools, there were always anxious kids or depressed kids. But even before the pandemic, in an elementary school, you were starting to see 60, 80 percent of students who would report, I have anxiety, I'm feeling depressed, I even suicidal ideation at younger and younger ages. So it's not really the school that we, in most schools, it's not what we remember as that safe, easy place. So I realized after spending 10 weeks every day in a school working with some awesome refugee children that the morning announcements could be, I thought, a a delivery system for something, a ritual for everyone. Mm -hmm. And I am a big proponent of mindfulness, mindful meditation. And frankly, Jen, I thought, well, I'm not going to be able to pitch and sell, even if there were a nonprofit. I'm not going to be able to get silence (laughs) across the airwaves. So I thought, what if we partnered with, we were in Cincinnati, so what if we partnered with the Cincinnati Symphony and and married mindful techniques, which is noticing, noticing breath, noticing sound, noticing sensation, noticing what you're imagining with music. So we, what I love about Cincinnati is that it's so collaborative, so... You know, uh, our friend Layla was Uh working at the symphony. So I connected with the symphony and voila, we started Mindful Music Moments in that single school, which was the Academy of World Languages. Wonderful school. That was in 2016. And so now, however many years, five years later, Mm -hmm. we are now in over 250 schools nationally reaching over 100,000 kids every day. Mm -hmm. And we partner with orchestras or music organizations or even literary organizations, I'll tell you more about that, in bringing San Diego Symphony to San Diego students, San Francisco Symphony to San Francisco, Dallas Symphony to Dallas students. That's so great. How did you, um, you know, going by coastal, how did that process happen? You can just tell us a little bit about that. Well, I feel like, first of all, what we had to do, what anyone has to do when you're building a program is you have to make sure it works. Yeah. And so pretty instantly with that first year school and then the next year we had, I don't know, 15 schools, 20 schools, 30 schools. Wow. You, you, we started to hear first from educators and students about how the ritual of mindful music so the way it works is each week we feature a single piece of music repeated Mm -hmm. for five days three minute excerpt and it's combined with a mindfulness prompt notice your breath notice what you imagine all delivered in a super easy web-based program Um, and we started seeing not only anecdotal evidence of people loving it, children loving it. But we also started to hear that, oh, we started measuring afternoon visits to the office post-recess 
for disciplinary challenges. When we used our mindful music then, those dropped. Our students are less anxious. Our students know how to calm themselves. So it was really having a successful program that then we could basically start to say to other folks like the Cleveland Orchestra or the Columbus Symphony, Mm -hmm. sort of, hey, would you like to align your music to youth? And and what's always been important to the arts, and in particular arts like symphonies, is trying to figure out how do you reach people when they maybe can't come to your music hall? Yeah. Like, how do you make something um, feel like it's a, a part of people's daily life? Well, that's what this did. In our model, our, even in philanthropy, you have business models. Mm-hmm. So our model is that, for example, our new partners in Dallas and San Diego and San Francisco, the symphony or the music partner pays us a few thousand dollars, not a ton, to be able to have all of the content going to students in their area, say, this week comes to you thanks to our partner, the San Diego Symphony. And we take those funds and we convert them to free tuition for schools in their area. Oh, fantastic. So essentially what we're trying to do is not, we're a nonprofit. We want to impact more people in an equitable way so that we we essentially in the perfect world the more students we reach we ultimately have our content becomes less and less and less expensive and when i talk about expense even if a school site comes from anywhere today and says hey i want to do this how much the most a school could pay is a thousand dollars for a year of daily content wow and so it's it's soup and we never turn anyone away Something cool happened this year. Um, This is the kind of story we love. A school in St. Croix started using it last year. Girls who have a girls club on the island of St. Croix Uh thought it was important that all students on St. Croix have this content. And they raised the money so we could give it to all of St. Croix. Wow. This is really cool. I just got the chills. I know. That just uh, that always just tickles me to no end. Wow. Well, it's also fantastic that you're doing something that is um, receiving instant and positive feedback like it has from the first from your first get go from it. So obviously what you're doing is working and a lot of people are benefiting from it, which is pretty cool. It's really, really wonderful. And it's also we were well poised for the pandemic, but mm-hmm. we also learned a ton You know, everything we've innovated, changed, fixed is because an educator or a principal said, hey, you know what would be really great is if we could have a video version of this, if we could have a Spanish version of this. And that's really how we were able to pivot really quickly to be able to provide content, whether it was blended or whether it was virtual. Kids... Kids nowadays are very lucky to have people like you. I went to um, Catholic school my whole, my whole, and it was like a, a ruler, you know. We didn't have any sort of mindfulness. Yeah, right. Nothing like <laughs> this at all. It was stop complaining. So like, swallow your feelings, you'll be fine. Oh, I know. This is fantastic. Can you tell us, like, why, um, how you got into this line of work? Mm. Have you always been in, well, let's, first of all, let's talk about the well. What is the well? Mm-mm-mm. And then yeah, I sort of skipped. So the well is the nonprofit holder of programs, including Mindful Music Moments. Mm-hmm. Mindful Music also, we have partnerships with UC Health. So there's a patient channel. So you can, if you're at UC Health and you turn on channel 102 in your room, you can listen to Mindful Music and see videos of Fiona at the Zoo or the Cincinnati Symphony. Yeah. We also part, we have Mindful Poetry Moments, which is a collaboration with the wonderful national radio show podcast On Being, mm-hmm. the On Being Project. And we combine mindfulness and poetry for both adults and youth cool. in gatherings and audio content. We have the True Body Project, which is a program that I created in 2005, mm-hmm. which is a 
a deeper dive into how to make meaning of the world um, in a little broader way than, than might start to happen if you were learning how to form identity by looking at Instagram all day long. Okay. So it started out as a program for teen girls. And what I realized uh, back in 2005, even before social media was so prevalent, is that despite feminism and the marching on of time, is that by working with and meeting young women, I felt like forming an identity that was a healthy launching place for just feeling connected to yourself and sort of accurate perception was becoming harder and harder for girls. Yeah, that sounds about accurate. Yeah, so I created a program. The first year I, I partnered with Artworks. So mm -hmm. Artworks has the wonderful apprentice model. So when we did it for two years in a row, we hired teen girls to do an art apprenticeship where basically self and other was the study. So for six weeks, 13 teen girls came every day to the Melrose YMCA. Every day they would do movement and meditation. They would do writing. They would do art making. They would have conversations about things that were both silly and profoundly deep. Mm. We looked at how women are portrayed in the media. We looked at the body and art at the museum they created a literary journal and a documentary film that year, um, which ended up playing at the Cleveland International Film Festival. And that was really the start of this kind of um, experience where, mm, I don't even know how to describe it. Almost all of us, you know, maybe you've encountered it at a church fellowship group or at a yoga retreat. <coughs> Or any time where you encounter others and you get to express yourself in deeper and more meaningful ways. You, you literally grow as a human, not from ideas, but from experiences. Mm -hmm. And so that's really what the True Body Project was and is, is a rite of passage kind of experience where you get to just think about the world more broadly. And also learn to listen to others in a way that has more empathy than disdain. Yeah. Um, I learned all this from my own experience of, I grew up, you know, here in Cincinnati, I had a super intentional, lovely parents I'm not quite sure why we end up how we are, but some things that occur to me as meaningful is that when I was in third grade, I guess, I had my first grand mal seizure, and then in the fourth grade, I had another seizure. I was diagnosed with epilepsy and put on phenobarbital. Mm -hmm. I was a super active kid, way active. And okay. the cool thing was is that by being on the medication, my parents would let me go, still ride horses, still be do all the things oh, I loved, but I don't really have any memory of it. Mm. It was such a heavy drug that I, when you're on those kinds of medications that might help with one thing, you're all, you're having developmental consequences if you're mm -hmm. not able to process emotion and things. Like, you know, whether it's because you're being told in a school environment to stuff them down and not feel them yeah. or you're being medicated in some way. So that yeah. was my story. So then what happened in hindsight is that when I went off the medication, let's say in early high school, I, I had no practice feeling how to be in a human body okay. that was filled with hormones and parents divorcing. And so I loathed the feeling of being me. So I worked really hard to find ways to avoid it. My first strategy was sugar. Mm -hmm. <laughs> my second strategy was cigarettes. Yeah. And then my third strategy, which really took hold, was alcohol. And so I just, 
I mean, from the time I was in college, I was a daily drinker and I was clever enough to sort of stay, stay ahead of the um, scrutiny okay. for a really long time. Uh, but by the time I was in my late 30s, I realized that I had become uh, so anxious, so addicted to alcohol that essentially my day would start with coffee, anti-anxiety medication, somewhere there'd be some sort of food in there until I could start drinking again at the end of the day. I was becoming so limited in my, how I expressed myself in the world, um, panic attacks, all that stuff. So I ultimately turned myself over to the good folks in the 12 step rooms of AA and got sober. uh, And then in that same week, importantly, I ended up starting in a Pilates studio, which, by the grace of God, was literally uh, like a stone. I could throw it from my window and Mm -hmm. hit the Pilates studio. Were you in Cincinnati at this time? I was in Cleveland. Okay. And those two things, like really the 12-step rooms, which I just, the idea of finding myself in a 12-step room was uh, another kind of narrowing disdain trick that addiction plays on you. I mm. just really thought like, what could those people teach me? <laughs> well, here's, I'm here to tell you everything. <laughs> it was like learning how to be all over again. And what that meant was just learning that like at that moment, all of my thoughts, which I thought were so clever, really were at the service of keeping me, you know, at five o'clock with a glass of wine in my hand. Um, I learned how to listen. I learned how to be able to tolerate my own feelings. I learned how to, you know, they had all these slogans that I still love. It's like, do the next right thing. Just, I, it, was, it was a program of action, service, empathy, and um, agency. Taking, you know, I think we all know that it's very easy when you are dysregulated, human beings tend to take two strategies and sometimes they alternate one is that there's something wrong with me mm-hmm. a lot of shame or my personal favorite was that there's something wrong with you <laughs> uh so that was what I used forever like I was smart I was smarter I was I would meet writers and I would be like well I'm a writer just like not writing <laughs> uh, just like this ideal idea of myself that was not accurate so Pilates was this way of coming back into my body, my breath, my my agency through movement. And then the 12-step program was cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. And it was after that that I, it was, uh, the other thing I like to say is that when one is dysregulated, depression, anxiety, alcoholism, whatever it is, it's so... It, be, it creates a narcissism. It's almost like having having your hands over your eyes because you're always trying, your body is trying to regulate all the time. Yeah. So it's like, what does this mean? What does that mean? What am I, how am I? Blah, 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 blah. And once I got sober and got more regulated, it was like I took the my hands away from my own eyes and I was like, oh, pe- there's a world. People and yeah. people are so interesting. And so it was after that that I wrote and published my first novel. I became a real writer for real. I became a real writer because a friend of mine said, you know what they say? They say writers write. (laughs) I was like, oh, come on. (laughs) All right, I'll do it. Um, Um, Yeah. And then I started because of being in the world, um, having a point of view. My point of view meant that I have deep empathy for anybody who's in a place where they feel like they want to change and every day they think it's going to happen and you find yourself circling back into the same paradigm. That's what became super interesting to me. Mm. And my study, if you will, and really the work of the well is looking at what is, um, what are the practices of humans who get unstuck and stay unstuck. Wow. That's a, I'm going to write that down. That's a fantastic. All right. Yeah. Continue. And 
what we all know is that we know to a person, maybe not children, maybe they haven't learned it, so we're kind of trying to teach some of these practices, but adults tend to know, oh, when I do this, 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 and I don't do this and this, I have a fantastic day. Yeah. We all know. How come we don't do it every day, though, Stacy? How come? That's what you and I need to work on, bottle it, and become, um, you know, wellness empire. Yeah. <laughs> I think it, there's a lot of reasons why we don't. First of all, you know, we've been taught that numbing and all the other kinds of strategies we use are um, sort of culturally cool. Yeah, and can I say good for us? I feel like so many times now that I've been awake and unstuck in my own journey of life, I feel like now when I hear people say these medicines that will numb you out are good for you, or I got to take my medicine that, you know, this is good for me, or they, they, they take it believing that they're getting better when really they're, I feel like, at least making their issue worse. Yeah, or, and when I say numbing, I don't also just mean pharmaceuticals. Mm-hmm. I also mean the internet. I mean all the, yeah, yeah. like, and we can do a whole podcast on the, the, the true challenge of social media and what media is doing to our brains but we're being served up a lot of information. Well, I'll stick with that for a second. So, and everybody can go watch documentaries and read a few books and get all this information. But that we're, all the technology in our Instagram, our Facebook, our Google feeds, everything, YouTube, they specifically try to drive us to the base of the brain. That's the fight or flight. That's the most primal part of our brain. Because when that is stimulated, we stay online longer. And as long as we're online, we're lining the pocketbooks of someone. One of the, uh, one of the great ideas is that if you are not paying for your content, you are the product. So we are the product of this okay it, it took me a second to understand what you're saying but now i get it you got it yeah um and so a lot of what we're being fed to numb us out whether that's through and um, and pharmaceuticals can be awesome combined with things yes. that that actually start to um move you back into a world where you feel like you have meaning and you know how to be in the world. That's my sort of hope for anybody who's on a change trajectory. Yes, and I guess I don't want to to clarify what I meant. Right, right, right. There are some medicine that people think is helping them when I personally believe is not. And when we are born and bred to believe in our society that these things are helping when they aren't always. That makes sense culturally, whatever. Yeah. And I also know that, you know, just what I learned from when I was in an addiction mode of drinking, it's really easy to think and believe that everybody binge drinks, everybody drinks every night, the cool people drink every, you know, Mm -hmm. we we tell ourselves whatever story we need to tell ourselves to keep doing the thing that's making us feel good. Yeah, we lie to ourselves so much. Isn't it crazy how your mind can just bend to, at least I feel like in my mind, to justify actions that I'm doing that maybe that I know aren't the best for me. Yeah, and then when you have a history of trauma, and now post-pandemic we all have that in our wheelhouse, one of the things that happens, especially with developmental trauma that Mm -hmm. comes out of complex relationships situations when you're young is that we also can't anything like if I came out of a traumatized youth situation when I realize that I've been unkind when I realize I'm doing things I shouldn't do I cannot tolerate the feeling of that shame when you've been shamed you can't tolerate the feeling of shame Mm -hmm. And that's really what all of the kind of 
wellness practices require is some level of being able to hold, sense, feel, and then release all the complex feelings of being a human, which include messing up, which include being angry, uh, being disdainful. Like we hold it all in us. So, wow, we got way... I don't even know where we went. I, <laughs> I was like, wow, okay. This is... Um, well, thank you. Okay, wow. Um, so you wanted to share what you learned, that entire process <laughs> with the world. And congratulations on your sobriety journey. How long has it been? Hmm. I don't know why I can never do the math. It has been <laughs> over 20 years. Oh, congratulations. It's been over 20 years. And it was about this time of year. I remember being at Thanksgiving at a friend's house and standing in the garage, her garage, with our cigarettes and our Chardonnays. And uh, I was saying, I got to quit drinking. Mm-hmm. And she cried and because she had been concerned. And I luckily did that. that uh, I waited. Till between Christmas and New Year's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I wanted to experience just a little more misery. <laughs> but it's been really wonderful. I think that the, um, I think, and, you know, you've expressed that you've been on your own healing journey. It's, there's something about, uh, once you step into a space where you get to move, breathe, explore your mind, explore your body, explore your feelings in some way. It sounds so terrible when you're outside of it, and it really is not complicated, not terrible. Like, the whole world emerges quite easily. Mm -hmm. And I guess back to the work of the well, what we're trying to do is figure out how we can create simple practices so individuals in schools, in hospitals in their homes, can experience these um, exercises, these practices, if you will, um, and start to think like, oh, wait, that's mindfulness? Well, I can do that. And, oh, weird, I think I actually had a better day. Yeah. I think what's really great is you're breaking the barrier that you have to be on a mountain next to a Buddha in a gong, um, practicing mindfulness to a lot of people who have never practiced or isn't familiar they I think in my experience don't think they can do it in their regular day or don't think it's that five minutes is enough I think that you're especially teaching kids really early that it only takes five minutes and they can do a whole lot of work and you can build from there if you'd like but you can put it into your busy city life day every day Absolutely. That's absolutely true. And I know having had the luxury pre-pandemic of being able to teach internationally mm-hmm. and going to pl- awesome places, including my favorite place in the world, Bali, and having had a week of restoration, teaching and joy, and then feeling like I've been forever changed. And by yeah. the time I get to Singapore, I'm mad they don't have soy milk. <laughs> like, it's really hard to... Um, to find exactly what you said. We can insert these joyous practices in little bits every day. Mm -hmm. And if we're lucky enough to go fortify ourselves somewhere in the world, then yay. You know, I went on a, um, um, I went to Cambodia for three weeks to um, to do a yoga mindfulness retreat five years ago, six years ago now. And it changed my life completely. Well, I have to know because mm-hmm. up until the pandemic, I went to Cambodia every January. Really? It's my, I started working with an organization there 10 years, well, 12 years ago now um, that did long-term aftercare for girls recovering from sex trafficking yeah. and returned every year to teach and do work in Cambodia. Oh, super wonderful. So it's my heart place. I still, I, I'll have, I, I volunteer once a week with young women there teaching them English. Uh, so you'll have to join us. Where were you in Cambodia? Um, I went all over. Well, I took, I started off, let's see, what's at the top? Uh, Phnom Penh, I guess. Where you- well, Phnom Penh's the city where you would come into probably. Yes. And then maybe Siem Reap. Oh, yeah, and hold on. No, I came into Siem Reap, 
Okay. Right? That's in- where all the temples are? Yes. So I yeah. flew into that city, and then I took and explored there, and then I took a boat ride um, down to Phnom Penh and Sinukville, and Sinukville was where I did... Um, a, uh, where I did a yoga and mindfulness retreat. It was the first time I'd ever really, really meditated in that sort of space. And the program was, I was only there for 10 days, 14 days or something. And it was drug and alcohol free. Um, and they, they fed you, and like no caffeine, no cigarettes, no nothing. And then they fed you a completely uh, vegan diet. And then you, ha- then you did meditation practices three times a day. And I got massages every day, and it was the the most amazing week of my life. And now meditating is like my favorite thing in the world. I know, really go 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 all the time. But and what what kind of meditation do you practice? Um, oh, I would say on my daily. I, to be honest, if I don't go to a yoga class, am I meditating as much as I should? No, but I definitely try to get it in every day. Just breathing, being one, calming the brain, following my breath and letting my body be still. Mm, That's perfect. Mm. And I love um, that idea of calming the brain. I think so many people have an idea that meditation is not thinking, and when they encounter thoughts, they think they're not doing it. Mm. And it really is the stillness and the returning to the stillness. Yeah. And there's so many, you know, you can follow your breath. You can notice your thoughts. You can... you know, focus on sensation. You can stare at a candle. It really is just the ritual and the return. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I'm dying to know who your teacher was in Cambodia. Do you remember? Hold on. I... It's a small country when it comes to the the, the place where I was. Shoot. It's I... so pretty down there too. It is. And you know what? I really reg- I don't I don't regret anything about the trip, but I wish I would have spent more time there and gone over to Indonesia and to Thailand and to Laos and really like everyone had been to Bali and Manila and I really want to go back so bad and uh, and I haven't. I know we were hoping to go back this year but with the yeah changes of everything in the world we're not going back but maybe next year Mm. you can come back because we do these cross-cultural trainings where we do all this mind, body, true body work. And then we go and we meet with organizations so our guests learn about the work on the ground in Cambodia. Wow, that would be fantastic. I definitely really want to go to Bali. I feel like everyone, all of my friends have been to Bali or go regularly to either surf or go to, to retreats, etc. Yeah. And um, no, not bougie, if you were going to say that. Not at all. What? No, Ubud, which Ubud, is the... Ubud, I don't know what that that's is. That's the, the... It's inland in Bali, and that is where the yoga barn is. That is basically where like people... It's like a yoga barn. I feel like that's... I've seen that a lot. Oh, my God. Lot. It is. Has it been westernized? I mean, I think that people who have been going to Bali for decades yeah. feel like the island is, well, pre, pre-COVID pre thought that the island was really getting a lot busier. But Ubud is the place even where travelers would come, they would do detox for five days. Or yeah. It's just all healing. But there's something, Bali, the minute, you know, a few times I've gone and thought like, this is a ridiculous trip for healing. But the minute you step onto the ground and I can hear the sounds, I can smell the jasmine, I can feel the air, it is mother, mother Bali. Oh, man. Well, I can't, I'll have to, that'll have to be my next trip because I feel like since that, like going on retreats, uh, wellness retreats are are my favorite type of vacay. But I've been going, since I've moved, since the four years I've been in Ohio or back in Ohio, I've just keep taking trips, going out to visit friends and not taking care of my body to be honest I'm like that's the next one I know I was supposed to go I was signed up for my first 11 day silent retreat <gasps> wow but then COVID came and they haven't rescheduled those yet so I'm really excited to do, do that. that it was I thought it was complicated to figure out how to get in to these mm-hmm. retreats I and I was gonna it was in kind of north north of San Francisco somewhere I just yeah. found a spot, booked it, and it was one of those things where I thought, well, I'll figure out how to get there. Yeah. And then we all got locked down. Ah. But I'm really excited when that can happen. Oh, man, me too. One of my friends did a, um, a silent retreat 
in Nepal. Mm. She's like the crazy world traveler. And she went to Nepal and she was there for a long time. But one of her retreats was like you were at the sanctuary and then they set you off into the woods. And they're like, you're alone in the woods for like a week. And then you come back and talk about whatever happened or it was an exercise. I mean, she just fended for herself in the woods. Yeah. It was, she did it fantastically. I so. have some other friends who just did that kind of encounter in the U.S. Really? But they really set you up with um, the way it worked for my friends here is they, you, you do fasting if you want. You do a lot of prep work and sort of ceremony work and then you go out. But you have, you have a way to check in with one another like every day you're supposed to go leave something at this spot so your neighbor sees that you're ah, alive. Gotcha. Like those are the kind of things where I thought, I would like that. Yeah. I'm not that hardy. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would like yeah. like glamping difficulty. I feel like I could do anything, you know. Oh, I like, know you could. Any, yeah. Anything you make me do or have to do, like I'll do it and I won't complain about it. But if that's not an option, then that'd be cool too. I know. Yeah. Well, someone know if I'm missing. That's all I really want to know. And I'm sure my friend did. I don't know. All I know is that she was telling me about how it was silent and she was like on a solo hiking journey for like a week and it was insane. Oh my gosh. I know. So Let's cool. do it. I know. She lives this life where she um, makes her own schedule and gets to you know, do all these things. So she's fantastic. Oh, um, we need those. Um, okay. Well, I feel like you want to talk about true. So the True Body Project, have we touched on that a whole lot? I feel like we've gone. We did, right? We did. We talked about, I mean, the True Body Project now, we do uh, leadership trainings virtually. We have a six-month virtual training coming up in January. So people can get, a, people can get involved. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, I'll be doing a, a free True Body New Year experience on Ooh. January 1st. Just so some of these things, I really need to get a better elevator pitch about True Body Project, about what it is. But I usually just feel like, oh, just do it. You'll love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's essentially breathing, um, movement meaning making poetry people it's just gorgeous getting in touch with your core yes and freeing exactly. yourself i would say there's so much freedom within doing these practices and i would say i think that's why i do it so much mm -hmm. um and now i i love it i feel like i have this image of myself and my future self that i check in with all the time like how are we doing today nat how are we doing all right mm. let's go what are we struggling with today what are we doing today? Well, and I blah, think blah, 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 that blah. that's a really powerful um, statement you just made is that when we have the capacity to do things today that we very intentionally know relate to some version of our future self, like, mm -hmm. is this serving me not in this moment, but for the longer term, that's when life gets really interesting and yeah. exciting. And it isn't like making a strategic checklist. It's just like, you know, is this really the best thing I can do for myself? Yeah, exactly. And and the more you practice it like any muscle, the more you find what is good for you and what's not. And I think going into it open and realizing if it, if it, if it is your first time or you're trying to um, approach these practices that like you're not going to know. There is no end goal. You're not coming into it, you know, with a red light, green light. It's just it's explorative, and you find it out along the way. And everybody's journey is different. Yeah, and I really do think I listen to tons of podcasts, and it seems to me that individuals across all domains who are making a life not just successful but worth living mm -hmm. have added mindfulness somehow into their practice. It's the first thing everybody always says. It's the first thing, at least I have found, any successful person who's lived a life or trajectory that I find appealing would like to do, the first thing everybody says is mindfulness. Yeah. And meditation, I have found. And I don't know if you listen to the Hugh Jackman on Tim Ferriss podcast, but Hugh mm -hmm. Jackman. I do. I'm familiar with Tim Ferriss. Oh, the Hugh Jackman one, mind-boggling. Really? I'm going to yeah. write that down. I love him. Oh, my gosh. Well, you will love him even more. But in part because of how committed he is to these practices. And the favorite thing I got out of that 
podcast was a coach he started working with, you know, just a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Like Hugh Jackman seemed like he had it all together, but he's like, I just feel like I can be more intentional. Started working with a coach and he has a practice. He texts his coach in the morning, but I've done this with a friend group. I'll do it to myself. And you text or write down, send, essentially how you want. It's as though your day has already gone by. So essentially, I would write to say you. I would say, I had a day, uh, a busy day, and got to visit with Natalie, got to meet a new friend, went to my writing group, and all along the way, I went slow enough to be thoughtful, kind, and a good listener. So you're basically creating intention, not just the checklist of what you're going to do, but how you're going to be within your day. So powerful. It's that future self, but just moving the future self, it's almost like casting a net over your, um, how present you want to be and what's important to you. Because I love a checklist. I am happy to get 500 things done. Mm -hmm. But does it mean that I've been a good friend, that I've been present to the day, that I've, I've laughed, I've breathed, I've... Yeah. So that's my new. So we, one of our internal little slogans is, what would Hugh Jackman do? Oh, I love that. <laughs> <laughs> I can say definitely the, the thing like I personally struggle with is going so fast every day that I don't take a moment to realize all the fantastic things that I'm doing in my life and all the fabulous people in my world. And I'm just like, breeze through it all. Just get through it. Just get through it. Just get, everything is a checklist. Yeah. I'm, I got to be a coach for the YMCA's recent Strong Challenge. And it was virtual people from all over the country. And we got to be in small groups. And I learned more than probably I delivered to anyone. <laughs> but one person who was in our small group said that what she does every night is she just, before she lies down in bed, she just sits on her bed turns on this light, this aromatherapy, and just goes through her day and re goes just yeah. kind of replays the day in a, a check-in kind of gratitude way. And it's almost like it does that particular piece of it. And again, those things are, what is that? A minute? Yeah. Two minutes? Mm-hmm. But then... You sleep better. Or it's one, which one of the, I think it's Dan Harris's app is in his, it's a really great app you can follow, but his whole mantra is 10% happier. Yeah. And when we're that much happier, then one of my favorite teachers this year always talks about how settled bodies settle bodies. So it's going to be less about what I say and more about how I am. Am I going to be a, a human of comfort? Or am I going to be a human of mm, boundary or unkindness or sort of like no vibration? And yeah. That's, that's really what we all want to be is very true. a settling body. Very true. And I feel like once you um, align, yes, this story is t- tale as old as time, I guess to say. Once, once you align your own energy and you're familiar with it, it makes it really easy to be around other people who aren't aligning and makes it really easy to make the decision to walk away, I would say. Oh, but yeah. at the same time, it makes life harder. You realize, at least I realize, there are a lot of people I have to spend my time with that don't have aligning energy. And then I you're know. like, how do I deal with this every day? Yeah. <sighs> but it does become, you have to, I feel like that discernment, it's less of judging and more of discerning. I really have a sense for almost like capacity mm-hmm. I can feel like oh th- I think the, this person this organization this moment there's limited capacity and then I can kind of almost like a solar system just sort of shift away ah, uh, rather yes. and I think that it becomes less intellectually frustrating and more of just a feeling a feeling and a knowing mm, yeah I think that's exactly true. 
Yes. Yeah, and it doesn't mean it's forever. The uh, that's the thing I did learn in the twelve step rooms that I still blows me away is that. You know, every day there's miracles where somebody decides I don't want to feel this way anymore and starts to move into a space where they reclaim their own beauty and um, resonate differently in the world. And that's yeah. the cool thing yes. about, I mean, my God, if we weren't, if we weren't capable of weathering stress and trauma and taking that and transforming it, we would not have survived as a species. I think it's a particularly difficult moment and I, um, because of in large part the artificial, artificial intelligence that making, that is by design making us feel more polarized. But every day there's people having sweet conversations, being caring and loving and. You know, it's really wonderful. Even if you haven't um, done the 12 step program or had a journey similar to yours, these type of transformations and changing in progression and growth uh, is still out there. Absolutely. And I think it's so exciting. The older that I get, the more and more that I change and transform um, just keeps getting better and better. Yes. Really and I, I know that, and I, my guess is you would be, feel the same way, is that if anyone ever feels like, oh, I would like to know what Stacy would suggest for me to do, mm -hmm. I am happy to be a listener and a guide uh, if anybody has um feels that they want to know more about change oh well okay this is excellent then where can people find you and get in touch with you at the well dot world almost everything there is going to eventually come to me okay. um my email is stacy s-t-a-c-y at the well dot world and we have lots of free programs even our true body um master training uh is by donation mm. so it's high level content for whatever you are able to do so that's the beauty of a nonprofit is we can raise a little money over here to cover salaries and do what we do but we can also make sure that we create equity for people who need it wow this is fantastic Oh, thank you. I'm so happy to get to know you. You too, Stacey. Thank you so much for coming on and, and, every, and for, for, for providing everything that you do for the world. So. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Wow, right? Wow, wow, wow. Stacey, thank you so much for sharing your journey, your story, and everything you, that you do. Once again, if you want to reach her, she is at thewell.world and on Instagram at True Stacey Sims. I'm Natalie Jones. I hope you're having an amazing day. Whatever it is you do today, make yourself proud. Like, subscribe, share with all your friends, and uh, I'll see you next time.